If you would like more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, and they told him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, well, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and he followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Uh, We are in a series uh, called Bless, and this is not an ordinary series. And the reason why is because it's a series that we expect to refer back to uh, in in the coming years. Uh, We'll refer to back over and over again, and and new people coming in, we'll probably pass them uh, on this uh, on this series. So they, because and the reason why is because this series is is uh, key. It represents a key part of our evangelistic strategy. How do we live our lives out as a church, and what are we up to, and which is a blessing strategy, and. So the first week we talked about just how in Genesis 12, God comes and he, he says, I want to, I have a, I have a plan to bless the entire world and how I'm going to bless the world is I'm going to bless you. So he blesses us. God uh, gives us every spiritual blessing. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't spare his own son. He blesses us. And through blessing us, it's not just for us, uh, but we're meant to be a conduit where his blessing flows through us to other people. He wants to bless the people that you work with. He wants to bless the people in your neighborhood. He wants to bless the people that you come across in your school or wherever you would go. And he wants to bless them through you. And, um, we see that happening practically at Jubilee through this acronym called BLESS, which is to begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and then at the appropriate time, your story, sharing your story, sharing what God has done in your life. Because this is one of the key things that God wants to do in your life, that when you become a Christian, when you come to know God, one of the big agenda items he has for your life is he wants to use you to help other people know God. I mean, not not just the day that you know God, but like the second you know God, it's like, okay, now you are going to be someone who's going to help other people know God. Let me show you what he says in, in Matthew chapter Four. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you. And he could have put anything in that blank. He could follow me and I'll make you a really great theologian. You'll know your Bible, uh, you know, cover to cover. Or follow me and I'll make you a really great parent. You know, follow me and I'll make you really holy. I mean, you'll never make a mistake ever, ever again. But what he says, he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you those who by me blessing you, you will bless other people by everyone that you come across. And this is so important to God that we become people who bless other people, that it's so important that we become people who help other people know God, that he actually rewired us. You know, the, the Bible language uh, in 2 Corinthians 5 says that we've been made a new creation, that he's like made us a completely different person. The old has gone away, the new has come. And how he does that is that he sends his spirit to live inside of us. 
So much so that in Galatians 2, Paul says that it's no longer, no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. He rewires us. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And here's what we know about the Holy Spirit. He burns with passion for people to know Jesus. I mean, his big thing in life, uh, the Holy Spirit, is to make much of Jesus. And he wants everybody to know Jesus. He burns with passion for people to know Jesus. The other thing is that he's grieved when people don't know Jesus. It grieves him. So if you are someone who has a Holy Spirit of God inside of you, here's what I know about you. Increasingly in your life, you are going to burn with passion for people to know Jesus. And you'll be grieved when they don't. And you'll be grieved when they don't. Now, in America, sharing your faith, though, is just not a common practice for most Christians. Um, in fact, according to a recent study by one denomination that will remain nameless, uh, that 20%, only 20% actually do share their faith, and 2% do it on a regular basis. So not very many people. But in my experience, and talking to lots and lots of Christians, here's one reason why it isn't, and here one is one reason why it is. Here, here's not the reason. The reason is that people don't want to. In fact, I just went on and explained like the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of us, and we do want to. He, he puts within us the will and the way to do his will. He, we want, there's something inside, if you are a Christian, there's something inside of you that wants us. In fact, if we were to go, if I was just to be able to talk to each person and everyone had a chance, there's someone in your life. There is someone in your life that you really want to know Jesus. There is a friend. There is a mother. There is a brother. There is a daughter. There is someone you work with. That, that it, it, you, I mean, if we were to talk about this person and you were to think about them not, them being separated from God, you probably would come to tears. I know that you want this. Um, recently, uh, one of our members, uh, Kathy Ponticus, her, her father passed away. Uh, he lived a good long time. And the thing, though, I loved about her Facebook post was this is what it simply said, my dad is in heaven. My father's in heaven. That was the thing about his life, that he, she, she just burned with passion for him uh, to know Jesus. And I would encourage you to talk to her more about that and just how God brought that about. And so my experience is not that Christians don't want people to know Jesus. They just don't know how to. Or let me say it a little bit differently. They don't think they know how to. They don't think they know how to, because when we think about evangelism, we think about someone that we don't want to be like. Testimonies, anybody? We can all think of the person that at our work or on the corner of the street that we don't want to be. I don't want to be like that. Or we think about someone that we can't be like. Somebody like Billy Graham. Oh, that's for the really gifted people. But evangelism, we've made something that is so simple. We've made it super complex. And all we want to do in this series is make something that is simple, that we've made complex, simple again. And that it's not that complicated. It's not for the really gifted. You don't have to be strange. You don't have to be weird. The good news is you don't have to do that. But it's simple as being the kind of person who's open to being a blessing to other people. And there are just five, five uh, rhythms that we laid out that it's in the acronym BLESS, which you're not going to find this in the Bible. You're not going to find the acronym in the Bible. Um, but these, these principles are there. It's, it's by praying. It's by listening. Next week, eating right? That'll be awesome. Then serving and then sharing your story at the appropriate time. And this week, we're going to look at the L in bless, which is listening. And let me tell you how big of a deal this is. In a, in a recent marriage study revealed uh, that most common characteristics among unhappy married couples, by the way, if you ever want, like when I do a sermon series or a series or a message, I mean, I, I probably share like 20% of like what I study. And I just have like this graveyard of stuff 
that just kind of goes somewhere. And so we just did it, finished the series on marriage. So I kind of re- resurrected something I learned. So don't get worried, guys. We're not going to do marriage again. So well, you're, you're fine. You've got a couple year, years to figure it out. But anyway, so I resurrected this stat from the graveyard from the most recent series. A, mo- a recent marriage study revealed that the most common characteristic among unhappy couples is when one spouse assumes they know what the other spouse wants when they actually don't. The loneliness that they feel. It's not just the other spouse doesn't know, but it's compounded by the fact that the other spouse thinks they know and they don't know. Now, why would that be? Because they don't listen. And listening is to love. And that's what you see in the life of Jesus, that he loved people by listening. And that's what we see here in the story that we read out of Luke 18, this blind beggar. He listened to them. In fact, there's two phrases that I want to particularly highlight in this message. Uh, One is that Jesus stopped. And the second one is that Jesus asked. In listening, he stopped, and then he asked. This is so basic. This is so easy. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's not hard. It's not difficult. We've made it complicated. It's simple. It's to stop and to listen. Verse 40, Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Now, you may not think that's big of a deal, but let's, let's remember who we're talking about here. We're talking about God in the flesh. I mean, the fact that God would stop for anyone is ridiculous. I mean, Isaiah, thinking about God, said, who is, who is man that God would even think of man? So for God to stop for anyone, just at a base level, is, is a ridiculous idea. I mean, think about the most important person on the planet that you can think of. And it's just to an infinite scale. So one, it's that. But secondly, by this point, he is wildly popular. All right? So his, his popularity uh, is, is spiking. It's going to go way down here in a minute. But it's just spiking. He, he had so many opportunities. I mean, this is like, you know, like, yeah, the business guru. I mean, just think about the person that's top of your field, you know, the teacher that's top of your field, whatever you do. Like, this guy just had so, he was, popularity was going out, you know, it's so many followers on Facebook. It was just ridiculous. I mean, he just had, he was so popular. But secondly, secondly, it's bonkers when you think about where Jesus is in the narrative of his life, in the timeline of his life. Um, so in Luke 9, this is Luke 18 that we're reading up. In Luke 9, it says that he set his face toward, like Flint, set his face like Flint toward Jerusalem, meaning that he was beginning to go toward Jerusalem. He was on that path. And guys, we are not far away from that, all right? So like he, this is the final recorded miracle in Luke. Um, he goes and sees a wee little man named Zacchaeus, and then he heads into Jerusalem on a donkey. And guess what happens when he goes to Jerusalem on a donkey? What happens to him? You could say it out loud. You're in church. Go ahead. He died. There you go. He died. (laughs) That's an important fact in Christianity. Um, Write that one down. He died. And so he's got like two weeks of his life left. All right? Two weeks of his life. What would you do if you had two weeks to live and you knew it? What would you stop for? Let me ask you that question. I mean, if you, I, I know what you do when you have two weeks of the summer left. Because we look at the attendance set, like around, around August, the first week in August and the second week in August, our, the attendance in all of our locations go, goes down because you're like, oh my goodness, I got two weeks left of summer vacation. I better squeeze something in. So you go on, when you have two weeks of the summer left, you like, you have two weeks of your life left. I mean, how important must that activity be that you would stop? And here we see Jesus stopping 
for a blind beggar. Not only that, I mean, he's got the mandate on his shoulders to save the whole world, right? He's, he only has got two weeks to do it. I mean, he's, he's, you know, it's not going so well with the disciples. And so at this point, and he stops and he listens, and it is just absolutely amazing when you think about Jesus stopping for anyone, especially a beggar, considering he had two weeks to live and had so much pressure on his shoulders. Makes me think about what I, you know, like in my little world, what I think is so important, what I have to do. You know, I'm probably on a plane about once a month, which I don't like. I know some people, you know, they like to travel. I'm just not one of those guys. I just, you know, I want to be at home. I want to sit on a couch or something comfortable. Like, I don't want to be in a plane. I don't want to travel. But one of the most redemptive things about being on a plane is I do get a chance to catch up on my reading. My, my reading goals are way more aggressive than my, what actually happens. I never reach my reading goals. It's really discouraging. But so on one hand, I don't like being on a plane. But on the other hand, I need to be on a plane to catch up on my reading. And so about a month ago, I'm on my way to Denver. And I get in my seat, and I buckle up. And I'm just getting ready to put on my noise-canceling headphones, right? Because I'm that social. And so like if you... If you wear those, you know, little earbuds, you're, you're saying to the world that I really don't want to hear what you have to say. When you put on noise-canceling headphones, you're saying, I'm going to eliminate all possibilities. And so that's what you do when you put it. So that's kind of my deal. Like, I'm just, I want to get to that, that place. And this young guy, you could tell he was just so excited to be on the plane. And, he, and he's like, hey, you know, where are you headed? And I'm like, well, I don't know what your ticket says, but mine says Denver. And so... I didn't say that, but that's what I was thinking. And so, and so, I mean, I'm getting ready to answer the question. I'm literally have my headphones like to go and to go into that quiet place and read. And I just felt, I just felt like God said to me to stop and to listen. And so I said, "Well, where are you going? You know, what are you up to?" And I'll, you know, just kind of going down the the trail and. And getting into his family, his background, his hopes and dreams, his fears. And we got to the, you know, what do you do moment, which, you know, when, when we get to the what do you, I mean, that's like, it's a better strategy for the noise-canceling headphones is just to tell someone you're a pastor. That will, that will get them to put on their, their headphones. And so, so I get, but he's engaged, and I'm just hearing about where he's at, and you could tell, like, he's beginning to doubt his doubts. He's beginning to question his questions. And... Um, Man, I just, he began to open up and open up and open up, and, and, and he was engaging. I got the chance to tell my story and, and how I came to know uh, Jesus and, and share the gospel with him. And I would love to say, you know, the, and then, you know, the plane landed and, you know, we baptized him, <laughs> you know, in the, somewhere in, in Denver. But we, that's not how the story ended. But here's the question can God use that? Absolutely, God can use that. A seed was sown. And it was like so, it was so simple. It was so simple. And, and that was the thing that I walked away from. I actually walked away, I walked away encouraged, but I also walked away convicted about how simple that was, but what a difference it could make in his life. And that's what we see with Jesus. He stops and he listens and he asks. He stopped and he asks a question. He says, what do you want to do for what do you, What do you want me to do for you? What are you struggling with? What are you, where are you hurting? I mean, this is God. He knew what he was, he knew. I mean, it's kind of like, I can't see, you know, that'd be one thing. I mean, he knew what the problem was. But he's, he's showing for us that we need to ask the questions and not make assumptions. What are your needs? And here's what I know, guaranteed about your life this week. 
you will come across people, guaranteed, people who are hurting. Happens all the time. We don't always take advantage of it, but there's opportunities all the time. Somebody at work, somebody at the gym, somebody across the street, somebody you interact with, somebody's going to have a really difficult week. Somebody's going somebody's to uh, learn that they have an illness or someone they love has an illness. Someone's going to go through a divorce. Someone's going to lose their job. Something bad is going to happen. There are hurting hearts all around us if we will just stop and listen and ask. And that's what we see here with Jesus. The beggar had a need and Jesus had an ear for that need. Do you have an ear for the needs around you? To listen is to love. And to do this well, we need to see people differently. Because I, I don't know about you, but sometimes it's really easy. It's insidious. In fact, that it, this can sneak into us that, that we, when we, we don't engage people in their pain because somehow we think they kind of deserve it. So yeah, you lost your job, but you should have been more responsible. Yeah, you're getting a divorce, but you're kind of a bad husband. Uh, yeah, you're, you're on the streets, but you, you shouldn't do drugs. And that's certainly the case with the blind beggar. In fact, it was just assumed that if you had something wrong with you, especially if you were blind, that you sinned or your parents sinned. In fact, this is what, in an earlier story, this is what the disciples said in John uh, 9 verse uh, 2. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, that he's talking to Jesus, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They just assumed. Who was it? Was it him or was it the parents? We know it was someone. It was either him or the parents. Which one was it? What did Jesus say? This is what he said. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And here's the thing, guys. There are people all around us that God wants to work in so that God's glory would be displayed in them if we will stop and listen and allow God's power, his blessing to flow through us to other people. And all we have to remember is that we did not help ourselves. We were not responsible. We were not the ones who figured it out. In fact, it was the opposite. I mean, if God was looking for people who took responsibility for what they did wrong, he, should have, he could have saved himself a trip. He should have stayed in heaven. None of us are righteous. No, not one. Yet Jesus stopped and he listened and he loved. Now I'm going to invite, I want to invite Miranda Stewart. Miranda Stewart here as a member here in the city location. She's a gifted uh, woman. She's got great stories around evangelism. She works on uh, college campuses. And I was so inspired by her story. And I've asked her to come and, and share this story with us. Would you welcome Miranda Stewart? So this past fall, I had a young lady join a small group that I lead. And this young lady is 19 years old. She's a black female. And I am in my 30s. And I'm a white female. And this is only significant because of the barrier that was between us before we ever met. It's not uncommon for my black students to be hesitant to trust me, especially when it comes to Christian content. And it makes sense. If you look at the racial tension in our city, across our nation, historically, inside and outside of the church, it doesn't take long to realize why. And so I could tell that she was hesitant. I could tell that it was hard for her to trust me and to open up to me, but I was just so excited that she was coming. And she was bringing people with her, which was even more exciting. And so fast forward a few months, and she, I just couldn't shake her from my mind. I just kept thinking about her, and I could just tell that there was something a little bit deeper to her story and just wanted to get to know her. So I sent her a text and I said, hey, I'd love to get to know you and I'd love to hang out with you. And she said, sure. 
And so we set a date, and then last minute she canceled, which was really hard. It's disappointing when you pursue someone and then it doesn't happen. But then a couple weeks later, I was like, I'm going to try again because I just couldn't shake her from my mind. And so I send her another text and I said, you know, I've been praying for you and I've been thinking about you and I just really would like to meet up with you. And she said, okay. And this time she came. And so we sat down and I looked at her and I said, I have no agenda. I just want to know how you're doing. How are you doing? And that simple question led to a really complex answer. She looked at me and she started to describe how last summer something tragic had happened in her life, that she had been through something really difficult, and how it's just been really hard to adjust to life. And then she disclosed that she had had an abortion last summer. So if you break that down, she was 18, and then immediately moved states away to go to school and is trying to do life in the midst of trying to heal. And that's really hard. I cried. That was the only response I had. And it was hard to listen to. It's hard to talk about. And that wasn't the response that I wanted. I wanted to hold myself together. But as I cried, I could tell that her trust in me was deepening. And so I asked her, I said, hey, would you like to meet again? And she said, sure. So we met the next week. And I showed up this time with Bible study materials, because that's what you do, right? In scripture, we know it's the answer. And it's good. And I am not downplaying that in any way, shape, or form. But I sat down, and I could not pull out my scripture and my Bible study. All I could do is say, how are you doing? How have you been over the last week? And she said, it's been hard. I haven't been sleeping well. And she continued to explain to me more to her story and just how to her the biggest honor in life as a woman is to be a mother and how she's always wanted to be a mother and how she still wants to be a mother and that the abortion really wasn't something she wanted. It was something she felt pressured into, something she felt obligated to do, which led to feeling abandoned and disappointed by people that she trusted most, which is a very lonely place to be. And to be a student and trying to adjust to life, she said emotionally, spiritually, mentally, just physically, everything was in chaos, and that was hard for her. And she said it was hard to forgive, hard to think about her role in that. And I just heard all these details, and again, I cried. And every time I cried, she would try to comfort me, which is the last thing, you know, that you want. Um, But I would push back on that, and I said, you do not have to comfort me. These are tears because I'm breaking for you. This is hard. And what you've gone through is hard. And it's okay to cry. And I said, you're not alone. God loves you, and he sees you, and he desires you, and he wants a relationship with you, and I'm here for you. Like, I never, ever want you to feel alone. And so we continued meeting for the next few weeks. And a couple weeks ago, we were about to part ways for the summer. And she looked at me and she said, how has it felt for you meeting with me? Because I know that people like you, conservative Christians, don't often support abortion. And so I can only imagine it's really, really hard for you to talk about this. And I paused. And I hesitated. And I told her, I'm not hesitating because I don't know how to answer that question. I just don't know how to communicate it well. I said, but my heart, it's just been hard. Your story is really hard to hear, but I am so thankful that you shared it with me. And I said, girl, there is no judgment here. I said, I'm so thankful that I met you, and I am so thankful that you talked to me. And I flipped it around, and I said, well, how have you felt meeting with me? And she said, it's been hard. She's like, where I come from, there's not a lot of white people, and I've been hurt by white people. I've been hurt by white women. And so it's been really, really hard, but this has been really good. 
the juxtaposition of emotions were interesting because on the one hand, I was so excited to hear that conversation because we had got to a point that we were able to have that conversation, which is quite huge. But on the other side, my heart just broke. My heart broke thinking about the fact that all this time she was fearing judgment from me and all this time she was fearing that I was struggling to love her. And it reminded me of this story, and I think about what stood out to me, and I was thinking about how the blind beggar was crying out to Jesus, and the people were rebuking him and telling him to be quiet, as though we are gatekeepers for who can access Jesus. This is not right. The church is at large, and I'm not saying everyone in any way, shape, or form, but the church at large is in a very unbiblical message that Jesus' love is discriminatory on multiple levels, and that's just not true. Because Jesus' love is the most inclusive, which is a beautiful part of it, because he says there's only one criteria. You come to me, and my love and my forgiveness and my mercy and my grace is unending. And so I think about how when we are reconciled to God through Jesus, we are able to be reconciled to each other. And so I'm able to listen without judgment. I'm able to listen without hesitation or discrimination. And so I look back at those interactions, and I just see Jesus all over them. It's been fun to see the little things, and I trust that God's got a bigger plan because he's good like that. But I've seen little things, like I've seen my own heart change and how I'm able to love and empathize at a deeper level because of knowing her, which I am so thankful for. And on the other hand, we've developed a relationship. It's been fun. She calls me friend. You know, like she has opened up and trusted a white conservative Christian female, which is huge. And it was all because of the grace of God. And so I think about God promises to use all things together for our good and for his glory, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And all I had to do was listen. Thank you. Um, Just so I take the opportunity to say, I mean, there are so many, like, uh, gifted people in this church that that very rarely, you know, that get profiled on a stage. Miranda's uh, is one of them for sure. But I just want to encourage you, especially if you're new or if you're need, if you're looking for uh, areas to grow in. To not, it's not always, you know, myself or someone else who's who that you would see visibly leading. But there's so many people that we can learn from. And I just would encourage you to, if you're here in the C location to learn from Miranda. I'm sure there are gifts that you would have uh, that she could learn from, and and we can all learn from together in all of our locations just to be able to learn uh, from each other. And so thank you for sharing, but I just want to encourage the church to to love each other and to build each other up with what God's given them to do. Um, One thing I want to just mention before we, we close here is that God does not give up on us. When it comes to blessing, when it comes through um his plan to bless the world, um, he just doesn't give up on it. I mean, like, I, I can't think of anything uh, that can be sometimes more condemning than this area of evangelism. Maybe prayer. <laughs> They're probably twins. I mean, just like we, when it comes to these things, prayer and evangelism, we all know that we should do it. So it's not like we have to come up here, oh, hey, you know, you should tell people about Jesus. Oh, really? I never thought of that. The, it's not like that, but we just feel like we don't feel like we can or we don't. And uh, when we don't, do it like we should. We just feel um, like we're disqualified. And so what happens is the more that that happens, the more distance we build between what we're meant to be doing 
And so actually it's not, it becomes that, that barrier of, of condemnation. And I just want to say that God does not give up on us. He doesn't give up on his disciples. If you read the entirety of Luke 18, it starts with them um, pushing away kids. And then now they're pushing away this, this beggar. I mean, they are not having a good chapter. I mean, this is like a, a bad chapter for them. And uh, if, you know, if you were in God's position, you'd be like, man, like you, you, know, you guys keep messing up, keep messing up. I've been with you three years and I'm getting ready to, I, I don't, I'm only going to be with you two more weeks. I, I, just forget it. I'm going to move on to someone else. But he doesn't do that. He doesn't give up on them, and he's not going to give up on you. He wants to use you. He's committed to this idea of blessing his people so that they can bless the world. And maybe you've given up on them. Maybe you, you haven't been the one who stops. Maybe you haven't been the one who listens. Maybe, maybe like you, know, you are the one who judges a little bit. I want you to know that just like he didn't give up on the disciples, he's not going to give up on you because he doesn't want to. He wants to use you. You are equipped just like you. Jesus had two ears. You've got two ears. Um, he was empowered by the Spirit to do this. You, as a Christian, are empowered by the Spirit. And if you don't know that, if you don't feel that, you don't have to leave here not knowing that the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of you and is empowering you and wants to speak to you and direct you in your life. You don't have to, to leave without being sure of that. Because here's God's strategy. God, some people have said he has like a dandelion strategy. And here's what I mean by that. That he, he plants all these dandelions in all these strategic places. We learn from Acts 17, that, that wherever we live and wherever we work and whatever we do, it's not by mistake. It is an intentional plan of God. He sets out where people live. He sets out what people would do. He sets the times as well. So where you work, it's not a mistake. It's not because it's the only job you could get. It's not because you, you, your job transferred you here. You were here for an intentional reason. You have been planted here. The reason why you're in the neighborhood you're in, you didn't choose that. God chose you to be there, and he planted you there. And he planted his disciples specifically in Jerusalem. And so here's what happened. He died. He was buried. He rose. He ascended. And he sent the Holy Spirit to blow on them. And the seed of these dandelions were spread all throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And oh, by the way, just so you know, you and I are the ends of the earth. Like you and I are not Jerusalem. Like you and I are, when this was written, we're, we're not the center. We are the ends of the earth. And, and I bring that up to say this, that whenever we begin to, to kind of downplay the importance of living this way, of looking outside of ourselves at the plight of other people to allow the blessing of God not to terminate on us, but to flow through us. Can I just remind us that you and I are the ends of the earth? That you and I uh, are the product of someone taking this seriously, of saying, yes, I will be a conduit. I will see your blessing flow through uh, Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Somebody, somebody stopped and listened to you. Somebody, somebody had the blessing of God flow through them to you. And now God says, I want to invite you into that. I want to invite you into that. You've been blessed, Now I want to see you bless others. And so by the power of the Spirit, he sends his disciples out into the world. And check out what happens. Let's see if it worked. Acts chapter 3. This is almost like deja vu to Luke 18. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. That's like 3 p.m. 
And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, he asked to receive alms. Hey, this will be a good place to hang out. And Peter, check this out, and Peter directed his gaze at him. Peter had somewhere to be, something to do, and he stops and he directed his gaze at him, as did John, Peter and John together, and they said, look at us. Okay, look at me in the eye. And he fixed his attention on, the, on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have neither silver nor gold, but what I have do I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. It's like Jesus never left. It's like Jesus is still active on the earth. And here's the thing, guys. He is still active on the earth. Uh, Acts 1.1, it says, um, Luke says to his friend Theopolis, he says, in the first book that I wrote to you, Luke, the book that we read today, in the first book that I wrote to you, I, I told you all the things that Jesus began to do and teach. What I wrote to you in Luke, all the teaching ministry of Jesus, all the blessing ministry of Jesus, that was just the beginning. And now I'm going to tell you in the story of Acts how Jesus is going to finish his ministry. And you and I are living in that period. He finishes Jesus. Check this out, guys. He finishes his ministry to you and I. That's why the church is often called the body of Christ. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We are the instruments to which his blessing flows through to other people. So let me just give you a couple of practical tips, especially if you are a type A person. I mean, I know you like empathetic types have been yawning the whole service, like, you know, when you guys going to get in the gear? Uh, if, you, if you're the one who's like very organized, very get after it, here's a couple tips. Number one, put margin in your schedule. If it takes you 20 minutes to get to work, give yourself 35 Give yourself margin to talk to someone on the way to the car, uh, either getting in your car or getting into wherever you park, whatever it is. Put margin in your schedule. Here's the second thing. Practice repentance. Practice repentance daily. Here's what happens. It's not, it's not in the DNA of a Christian to become judgmental. So why do they become judgmental? It's because they stop repenting. They stop noticing. They stop recognizing the, the sin that they do have in their life. And what it does, is it builds up this, this arrogance to where you begin to look down at other people. Repentance is a way that you can be humbled and be made afresh every day of God's grace and mercy. That when you admit where you, you're wrong, that God doesn't hit you over the head with a hammer, but he extends love and mercy. And then you become the kind of person who doesn't hit people over the hammer, but you extend love and mercy as well. And then, and then thirdly, to receive the Holy Spirit daily. To receive a fresh encounter of God daily that when you wake up or on your way to work, just simple prayers, God, fill me with your presence today. I want to know what you know. I want to hear what you hear. I want to, I want to live my life for you today. You see, Paul was able to say that. I no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. How was he able to say that? By daily praying, God, let me have your spirit in me so I could walk this life out. I can't do it without you. I can't do it without your spirit. Make that a daily prayer. What if we all did this? You know, I can think of a lot of things people can accuse this church of. 
that probably isn't very flattering in, in light of the in light of the backdrop of the current culture. They may not like what we believe. They may not think what we believe is is all that great. But one thing that they could, that I hope that they could say about us that wouldn't be so bad, is that Jubilee Church is filled with people who stop and listen. Wouldn't that be amazing if that was our reputation? That we are men and women who stop and listen to the pains and the hurts of the people around us. And then we don't try to be Jesus in the sense that we, you know, I have the answer, but we allow the Spirit of God to flow through us in the right time. He'll give us the words to say. In fact, here's the crazy thing about evangelism. He actually says, don't prepare anything. (laughs) Just kind of like, you'll screw it up. Just let me do the talking through you. So we don't have to, we don't have to, come up with some elaborate explanation. We don't have to convince them. We just love and we listen to their need and to the Spirit and what he would say and minister blessing in their life. Why don't we stand?